Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, my brothers and my sisters in Christ. Who is the goat? Is it Michael Jordan in his prime? Is it LeBron James? Is it Steph Curry? Is it Kevin Durant? Is it Giannis? Last name. Who is the goat? If you have no idea what the question means because you don't know what we're talking about when we say goat, I don't blame you. It wasn't too long in the past when I would have had no idea either. We are obviously not talking about a sheep-like animal that goes meh. Goat is an acronym. That means greatest of all time. And you bet you can walk up to a group of youngsters and you can stir up a very lively conversation by asking them, who is the GOAT? Now, you don't have to use that acronym to participate in this conversation. We are always having this dialogue, right? Who is the best? Who is the greatest? Who compares? And the reason that this conversation can become a little lively, can become even an argument, is because each of us defines greatness in a little bit different of a way. In basketball, is a player's greatness defined by their footwork, or their jump shot, their three-point average? Do you look more at how they play or more at the kind of person they are off of the court? How do you define greatness? Greatness really is subjective, right? Depends on what measurement you're using. Because of course we're using different measurements, otherwise it wouldn't be a conversation. Who has the greatest three-point average? Whoever it is, bam, that's the greatest. But we measure people differently, don't we? Jesus is objectively the greatest of all time. There is no debate. But as we see in our gospel lesson today, Jesus defines greatness far differently than anyone else. Jesus is the greatest because he destroys our measurements of greatness and gives us the greatest kind of greatness. Our gospel lesson from Mark chapter 9 starts this way. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. If you were able to join us last week or you heard last week's message, this might sound a little bit familiar. We've had this conversation already. Jesus has already explained to his disciples what the Messiah will have to do to save the world. But you remember what happened last time, right? They were just as confused, just as ignorant, just as off-put by what Jesus had to say as they are this time. Last time, Peter, though, piped up and he rebuked Jesus, said, Jesus, don't talk like that. Jesus rebuked Peter and accused Peter of acting more like Satan than like one of his disciples. And all the disciples saw it. All the disciples heard how angry Jesus got when Peter suggests that he don't complete his mission. And so this time, when it comes up, Jesus says the exact same thing. I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again. They are just as confused, 
just as ignorant, but they're terrified to ask anything about it. It's like when a freshman accidentally registers for a 400 level class and they're sitting there in that lecture hall, they have no clue what's going on, but they're not gonna say anything. It's like when the CEO comes to town to run a training, but he's not the most gifted trainer or teacher. No one has any clue what he's talking about, but they're not gonna ask any questions because they're too afraid. Have you heard that old adage? Better to keep your mouth shut and be thought a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. That's how the disciples thought. Plus, they had other things on their mind, didn't they? That's where it goes next. They came to Capernaum when he was in the house. Jesus asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. The disciples were concerned with who of them was the goat. And the reason that they got into this argument was because there are different measurements of greatness, right? We can hardly blame them. They're ashamed to admit it, but we know that this is just how we talk. We have this conversation about who's the greatest. Is it LeBron? Is it Michael Jordan in his prime? How does what Monet did to Impressionism compare to what Picasso did for Surrealism? Who's the best teacher on staff at your school? Who's the coolest staff sergeant you ever had? Who's the star of your class? Who's going to be prom king this year? We're always talking about this. And we know very well the measurements we use to judge each other, to measure the greatness of our fellow human beings. We judge people based on outward appearance, their attractiveness, the clothes that they wear, the car that they drive, the job that they have, the salary that they make. We judge people on silly things like the, how tall they are or the smell of their breath or how good of a communicator they are. We are actually very harsh when we measure the greatness of other people. But when all eyes are on us, when we're the ones being assessed, we want people to be a little bit more kind with us, don't we? Sure, we don't uh, aspire to be called the goat, the greatest of all time. But we say things like, you know, I'm not as attractive as I used to be, but man, I can cook. Or I'm a little bit lazy, you know, I don't show up to everything on time, but I make up for it with heart. We're trying to show the world that we might not have the greatest kind of greatness, but we have some form of greatness in here. See, most of us have settled not for greatness, but for pretty goodness. But others of us, like the disciples, will obnoxiously demand that people notice our greatness. I have achieved things, you see. I have done things. I am making my imprint on the world. And maybe that's why they didn't hear exactly what Jesus was saying when he explained what he was going to do as the Messiah. See, they already knew that Jesus was great. They had seen him do plenty of great things, but maybe they just wanted to stay in that zone, in the greatness zone of Christ. When he starts talking about the suffering he's going to go through, the death he's going to endure, that doesn't sound like greatness to them, so they don't want to pursue it any further. They're happy to stay in their ignorance because they just want to stick with Jesus so long as he promises that he can make them great. So what do you think? Will Jesus 
make you great. Not in the way the world measures greatness. Jesus does not promise to make you prom king. Jesus does not promise to improve your jump shot. Jesus does not promise that following him will always lead to you being liked. Jesus does not promise you a six-figure salary. Jesus promises no measurement of greatness in this life. Because every measurement that we use is shallow, superficial, and temporary. You can graduate as the top of your class, but then you enter the workforce, the real world, and how long does that matter? You can be the most attractive person in your, in your friend group, but looks are only skin deep, right? And death is the great equalizer, isn't it? When everyone is rendered exactly the same, when all your achievements, all your earthly greatness will not matter anymore. But that's okay in Christ. Because Christ offers the greatest kind of greatness. That's what makes this lesson so ironic, doesn't it? The disciples are hungry for greatness. They are furiously arguing about which one of them is the greatest. But their standing among them is the secret to all greatness, is Jesus Christ himself. The disciples are bickering about greatness, but when Jesus invites them to talk to him about it, they shut up. They're quiet. Even though he just explained to them the secret to their greatness. How does Jesus make us great? By his death. By his resurrection. Because Jesus walked on this earth achieving greatness in God the Father's sight by obeying his law 100%. Jesus suffered an innocent death, a kind of death that only a person like me, only a person like you would deserve, so that all of the things that make you guilty and sinful have been forgiven. And Jesus has risen from the grave to ensure that this greatness that Jesus offers is not going to end with your death, but will endure on into eternity. Jesus has called you by the greatest title you will ever have. And it's not prom king, it's not MVP, it's not valedictorian. It is child of God, eternally forgiven, everlastingly loved by the almighty God himself. Jesus has given you his greatness as your own. So does the devil throw your weak points, throw the reasons you shouldn't be considered great in your face? Does the world remind you that greatness is impossible for you to reach? Does death and the impermanence of life make you feel like worldly greatness isn't worth your time to pursue? You know what? That's all fine. Because Jesus has made you great in God's sight. Jesus has destroyed all of the measurements that we use to assess other people. In Christ, it doesn't matter how you look, what you do for a living, the smell of your breath, the, grades you, the kind of grades that you get. You are simply a sinner who has been saved by Christ fully and freely, and this is the gift of God by God's grace. Jesus gives the greatest kind of greatness.
He has turned the metrics, the measurements of the world on their head. That's what he explains next. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he had placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Jesus says, do you want to be great? First step is to admit that you're not. Do you want to achieve greatness for yourself? Great, the first step is to look at everyone else and see them as greater than you. Jesus says, if you want true greatness, throw away the measurements that the world uses and use the measurements God uses. How everyone in your life is someone whom God loves. Everyone in your life, doesn't matter who they are, is someone worthy of your service, worthy of your prayers, worthy of your love. That is a different kind of greatness. And to illustrate it further, Jesus grabs a child. Now a child, especially in Jesus' day, had no sway, had no power had no authority. I always laugh whenever we lose something at home, like a video game or a, a toy or something. The first thing my son says is, we can go buy a new one, right, Dad? And I'm like, who is this we of whom you speak? What money do you have that you can go out and purchase it? Because kids don't have buying power. They don't earn a wage. Sure, kids have the power to captivate your heart and cause you to love them by how sweet and cute they are. They have the power to make you laugh when they say st silly stuff. But while Kid President was a fun YouTube channel for a while, everyone knows that if we put a five-year-old in the Oval Office, it would be a disaster. And that's no offense to the five-year-olds among us. A kid is wonderful, is beautiful, is sweet. But a child will not be able to help you change a tire, will not be able to help you cover rent this month, will not be able to watch the dogs at your house for this weekend. And Jesus says, exactly. That's why a kid is the perfect picture of whom we're supposed to love. Love the people in your life who cannot, who will not give you anything back. It's easy to love the people for whom we have some sort of advantage, who can pay us back in some way. It's easy to serve the people who in turn will make our lives better. Jesus says, love the people who can't. Serve the people who won't. Love everybody, regardless of how they can make your life better. Don't think about advantages anymore. What this or that action will do for you. Because you are already advantaged in Christ. You are already great. You don't need to draw it from someone else. You are free to just look, love, and serve. And the real beauty of doing that, as you serve the people who can't serve you back, is Jesus says you will be serving Christ himself. And as you serve Jesus himself, you will be serving the God who sent him, God the Father. So as you look at the people in your life and you welcome them into your home, into your schedule, into your prayer life, into your conversation, you will be holding an audience with God. God will put his 
undivided attention on the service you are rendering. And he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now that's greatness. Amen.